Narwhal, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm so excited. I've been reading your book for like the last three months or so. And on the back of the book, it actually says you're a preacher, teacher, scholar, best-selling author of more than 50 books and listed regularly among the most influential Christians in the United States. So that's something. Um, so really appreciate you being here. And I mean, the book is so amazing. I was almost feeling like, you know, when you read scripture and you say, God, speak to me and you open it up and just like scroll through and whatever the finger points. Okay, I hope you're speaking <laughs> to me right here. That's almost how I feel with your book. Because yeah. I, mean, I have highlighted page after page, thought after thought, idea after idea. So I highlighted some of the, you know, the, the key takeaways that I have. Okay. And one of them where I want to start, it's right here. It says, uh, conversation partners need the freedom to look foolish and say foolish things across the table. Tables breed stories and narrative is the healing balm of the wounds of the world. People are living storybooks and anything that opens the covers of the path towards healing. I love that quote. And I think that's, that's almost what I'm trying to do with the Christian podcast. Um, I'm trying to bring conversations to the table, you know, so I'm sitting across the world to, with, with people and asking them questions and uh, learning about them, learning their ideas. When you were writing the book at the very beginning, you say you're writing for the 22nd century. You're writing for the future. So tell me a little bit about your experience writing the book with that in mind, the, the conversation, the table, the future, the 22nd century. Well, the 22nd century comes out of the concept that, um, that if I, my, my best friend in the whole world, when she was alive, she was born in 1897 and she died in 2003. In other words, she lived in three centuries. And, and if you have a kid born between 1990 and 2000, especially a female, they have greater than 50% chance of living well into the 22nd century. So our kids, um, the fastest growing segment of the U.S. population percentage-wise are centenarians, people over 100. So just statistically speaking, from a demographic standpoint, you know, uh, we're, we, our kids are really, we ought to think of them as 22nd century kids, not 21st century 22nd century kid. So if we think we've seen changes in the last 20 years and are facing enormities of, of uh, challenges, then we haven't seen anything yet compared to what they're going to be seeing. So that's why I, I use that 22nd century um, uh, kind of concept and, and, and metaphor. Um, I, I, I also, I mean, your, your point about the, um, um, the 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 quote that you used uh, for me, and I, I did not. I don't think I used this in the book, but maybe I did. I don't. I don't remember. But the Spanish have this great concept of sobra mesa. Oh yeah. Um, sobra mesa, and and it means over the table. S o b r e m e s a over the table, and then there's s o b r a. M-E-S-A, which means after the table, but sobra mesa is, you would, you would insult your host. 
if after the close of a meal you got up and left because part of the meal itself is conversation part of the meal itself is is that that kind of sharing stories that takes place after the meal is uh is over and um and so that's what that's what i'm trying to do with this book and I think what you're trying to do with this podcast too is create these these uh over the table conversations where people enjoy each other. I was excited about that space where I was going to lock it in as a URL, you know? And so I went to look up sober, who had the sober Mesa and you know, who has sober Mesa.com, a cigar company. <laughs> Cause they make, they make sober Mesa cigars just for conversation after the meal. And, wow. um, there are about 35, 40 minute cigars. And, that's supposed to be a cigar that lasts long enough to get you talking and get you enjoying one another. But, um, but that's, that's what we've lost. We've lost the sobra Mesa. Everything is now about just feeding our face, fast food, um, you know, that we've lost, but I don't know we've lost a table sitting down at the table together, but we've lost the sobra Mesa. Wow. Uh, and then the SBRA sobra Mesa is, after, I mean, there was always leftovers at, at Jesus. You look at everything Jesus did. I mean, the, the reading for this coming week is the feeding of the 5,000, which is really 20,000. But, uh, but he leaves leftovers. His first miracle at Cain of Galilee, he left leftovers, all this leftover wine. Jesus always provides an abundance, an extravagance. Take some home. You know, so what are the takeouts, the take-homes, the, the, the conversations that we take with us? And so the, these, the, the Spanish, these two Spanish words, S-O-B-R-E, M-E-S-A, and S-O-B-R-A, M-E-S-A, are for me key to the future. Wow, I love it. Sobre Mesa and Sobra Mesa. So good, man. And I love the, way, the fact that you're acknowledging you know, the Spanish word. And this podcast is being heard around the world. And, and, and I think, I mean, of course, we're in the United States right now, but I come from Mexico, from Guadalajara, Jalisco. And, and, and I think in a sense, we are creating these tables now across the world, you know, for people to listen across the world. And now I want to go to one of your almost like last pages in the book, um, in your acknowledgments. And, and I mean, read I, my I, acknowledgments? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's so interesting, right? I'm when impressed. you start. Nobody reads my acknowledgments. <laughs> <laughs> I did, man. It's so good. Um, well, especially like the second paragraph, just say you're talking about one of the hardest parts of this book to write was the requiem of the American dream, the degradation of that dream. Um, so tell me about that, because in the book, I mean, you cover so much and I'm just going to mention a little bit of the contents for people that are listening. Um, you know, hot zones, hostile culture, uh, Chinafication, world religions, uh, especially Islam. The public square, which is you know, the idea of the table, I think you mentioned it there. The disuniting states of America. Um, you talk about tolerance of diversity, esteeming incarcerations, race relations, suicide culture. Uh, and then you talk about kind of like this technological uh, moments of solutionism, dataism, generic engineering. You call it the, or I don't know if it's your term, but it's the grain 
genetic engineering, that's robotics, artificial yeah. intelligence, information technology, nanotechnology. I mean, the contents of the book is just is so amazing, so phenomenal, because you're covering you know, more like the more than 25 volcanoes that are about to erupt in the world. But how did that, how, what do you feel? I mean, you're saying here that it was hard for you to write about this, this uh, requiem of the American dream. And yeah. I don't know if now COVID it's, it, I mean, is that uh, accelerating things? How do you see that in relating to, to what's happening now in America? Yeah, well, two, two things after, based on just what you said. Um, number one, I, this book was once twice as long as it is, Beto. Mm. I had 50 volcanoes. Wow. And um, so they got, they got it. They cut it in half. Wow. So literally half of half of my book is gone. Half of the volcanoes are gone. So so in some ways, uh, you know, you're, you've been spared um, uh, a much larger book and la much larger <laughs> torture. But the 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 hardest part for me, I mean, I, I'm born in America. I'm bred in America. Uh, I know that God is not an American, in spite of what some people think, that, that we have God of all nations. But um, but you ought to be proud of the, your your birth country, you know. And so I, it was hard for me to to write about the the, the working title for that chapter was "The Eagle Has Fallen." Wow. And uh, what's happening is that the United States is coming apart. It the the dream is shattered and it's fracturing and it's fragmenting and and people are pulling apart. We are living in two different nations. Um, and um, you know, we got a CNN nation and a Fox nation, and and the, the whole pulling apart of this uh, this American dream, and and uh, it was just very difficult for me to write this, and and um, and some of the things that I talked about, how you know you were going to have more and more secessionist movements. I mean, here I live close to Seattle. There's a whole group of of people that took over six square blocks of the city of Seattle and said, we're going to secede and be, form our own nation. And um, they call it Chaz, and, and they formed a whole, they wanted to create a whole, you're going to see that over and over in this country. I mean, uh, as, as and it's not going to be fun to be a part of. So, so this was a very difficult chapter for me to write because, you know, God cares as much for a child in Biafra as Brazil as in Buffalo, New York. I mean, those children are all equal in God's eyes. But but you do you do have a certain tenderness towards I'm a patriot. I mean, I I love the nation in which I was born and to see it come apart like this and to realize that my kids will not live in that same nation that I grew up is was very hard for me to write. Wow. I think people listening from around the world, I, I don't know if they can relate to what's happening here in America or not. Um, you know, I, I don't really travel much. And all I know is really you know, my family still lives in Mexico. And I can see similar narratives going on in, in Mexico from you know, friends and, and family that live there. And, and, and even people exactly. coming here to live in the United States. Now, what did you say? Sorry. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. It's a global phenomenon. And see, the world's going two directions at the same time. It's getting more global, mm -hmm. but it's also getting more local. It's getting more tribal. And so, you know, your, your, um, your place uh, where you now live, your home, and the COVID is only en enhancing this because home now is everything. 
Um, mm-hmm. and it, and, and so we're going, there's no middle anymore and nation states are middle structures. So people are, they're having a global identity and identifying on a global level or else they're identifying on their neighborhood and their, their zip code or their code. And, and, um, so that, that's exactly the direction in which the future is going both extremes. Yes. And I think when I, When I used to think of America coming from Mexico, living in Mexico, growing up in Mexico, it, there's just so much influence coming from this nation, right? Um, around the world. I mean, you can see it uh, with, uh, uh, well, globalism broad. I mean, Mac just I remember McDonald's in Mexico in the 80s. We started having the first McDonald's in my city. You know, when we never heard of that, we didn't even know what McDonald's was, right? And then you start having McDonald's, Burger Kings, like all these restaurants, yeah. right? Now you go to Mexico and you can find Starbucks, I mean, Walmarts, uh, Targets, like all these these uh, businesses that are everywhere now, right? But but yeah. but America has always been so influential, especially you know in the last century so influential in in how the world sees itself that it's almost that whatever happens in america has a ripple effect around the world right and i have a friend who's from from turkey and she came to america um almost like fleeing from from her nation with her parents she was a little girl now she's you know in 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 her 40s or so And as I, I was even like reading the book to her, a few of your quotes and stuff, and this is just a, a little interesting. She was like, "Wow, that's exactly how I feel," you know, with some of the quotes that I went, I was telling her, and she's like, "Please ask him where should I move? <laughs> no, what, what, what am I gonna do? Like, I came to America like looking for all these freedoms, and now <laughs> we're right. so disunited. What, what am I gonna do? Am I supposed to like move somewhere <laughs> else now? What, what do you think?" <laughs> Well, no, if we're a follower of Jesus, we live in, in the kingdom. We live in the, the jubilee of joy of, of, uh, of Jesus's presence. So that's what we do, wherever we are. And Paul said it here, whatever state I'm in, they're with to be content. And he didn't mean state by nation state. But I kind of interpret it, I, I play with it that way, that whatever, whatever country we're in, whatever government we're in, whatever that we find um, the contentment, which is not found in, in government. It's found in Christ and in, the, in the, the shalom of Jesus and in that jubilee joy that he promised to bring, which we call the kingdom. So that's where we live. We live in the kingdom and, and we create a home that reflects that. I mean, our home ought to reflect that, uh, that, that jubilee joy of that, uh, of that kingdom. So, So I'm, I'm, I'm not optimistic about, I mean, I think we're increasingly going to be persecuted as followers of Jesus. And, and this you're is not planning culture. to move. No, no, no. I'm, 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 uh, I'm preparing my kids for what is coming. And I mean, I already live in the Pacific Northwest here. And, and if you say you're a Christian here, you will pay for it in some way. Wow. I mean, this, this culture, and you're in Costa Mesa, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, <laughs> There is, there is not, this culture is not, oh, Christians, we love you. <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's true. Um, yeah. And, we're I not mean, here. We're not, man. We're not. It's, it's all, they're all away games now. 
Beto, the, we, the home court advantage is gone. We're, we're playing away games and the crowds are not cheering for, for Christians to win or, or even say anything or even be on the field. They don't want to even see us. So yeah. this is a whole new world for us. But this exciting thing is because we're back now to the first century, how we began. And um, that's what I was trying to suggest with this book. How do we prepare ourselves for this culture that is forming out there, which is a, a mission field. It's literally a mission field. Um, and I don't think, uh, you know, I, this idea that America is shaping the future, it's not the West anymore, it's the East. Mm -hmm. The East is where, you know, that, that's where the, the sun is, the sun is setting in the West, it's rising in the East. Wow. And if you wanna know the future, you don't look to the West anymore, you look to the East and, I mean, just in terms of technology, I go to Japan, I go to Korea, they are, South Korea, they are so far advanced technologically in, in every aspect. I mean, I stay at, at, at a hotel in, in South Korea, in Seoul, and, and I, I, I'm, you know, everything there is so much more advanced than any hotel, even a Ritz-Carlton in the U.S. I mean, so we are, we're, we're, we in the West are sucking on a lot of old balloon juice, um, <laughs> but we think we're so far advanced. So you want to see the future form, you got to go to, you got to go to the East and, and see what's forming there. Wow. Yeah, I love that. You have, um, you know, a chapter called Chinafication, and you actually, I think it's there where you said, you know, if you want to get your kids ready, you know, have them learn Spanish and Mandarin, right? So I think I, I'm glad that I have at least my kids covered with, with um, English and and Spanish. But I do was was uh, thinking of like, wow, wouldn't it be so awesome if they would learn Mandarin? I have no no connections at all. Like I have no idea, no um, anything in as it relates to China in, in terms of like you no know, family or. Uh, relationships with anything from there. So, I mean, other than products I buy all the time, right? <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, but, when I was in China, I'd been there a couple times, and I, I did not want to tell them. Every In kindergarten, a, a Chinese child learns English. I mean, it, it's a requirement. Hmm. You just got, because they figure the number one sparring partner and trading partner of the future is going to be you know english speaking peoples and so we've got to learn to speak english to be on a par with them mm -hmm. they fully expected that in the u.s every five-year-old was learning mandarin and i had, I, had <laughs> i did not have the courage to tell them um it's not happening it's not happening wow. but <laughs> as i suggest in the book there are these three world languages spanish english and mandarin and even to know two of the three is huge. Uh, so you, you all, you all are way up here uh, mm -hmm. with that, with Spanish and, and English. Um, to learn the Spanish language and Ma English and Mandarin is the trifecta. I mean, the world, the future is at your feet if you can do that. Yeah, that's awesome. And um, Leo, just going back a little bit to to the idea of hostile culture. And you were mentioning, you know, some of the things we're experiencing. I mean, you in Seattle and here in Costa Mesa. I don't know if you're familiar with, I'm, I'm sure you've heard of him. This guy named Greg Laurie. Um, he's got a, har uh, yeah, it's called Harvest Crusade. It's, um, uh, well, it's a gathering at the stadium where he pretty much gives a sermon and invites people to follow Christ, right? And it's massive. I mean, 60,000 people or so. 
and he had he was actually doing like all the the marketing for this event that happens in Anaheim, California at the Angel Stadium. And some of the banners that he had were in this next city called Irvine. Yeah. And and they got taken down because the city said, you know, we don't want your your banners. We don't care if you're going to pay us whatever millions to have them there because people have complained that they get offended because you're you have a Bible in your hands. Right. And I mean, it's it's a picture where he, I mean, he he acknowledges, yes, it's a Bible, even though it doesn't say you no know, Holy Bible or anything like it could be any book. Yeah. But he he got him taken down because it's offensive um, to the people around there. And then uh, this other thought I was uh, thinking of, I don't know if you're familiar with this other. There's this other pastor named Francis Chan, who had a mega church in Northern California, quit the church. Uh, he felt like he he needed to do some groundwork and and uh, not really cater to the consumeristic type of church. Well, he ended up moving to China last year. He said, "You know what? I'm I'm a little done with all the pastors in America trying to fish on the same pond." He went to China. He says, "People are eager. They're begging me to to tell them about Christ." And and I love that because in in your book where you talk about the hostile culture and Chinification, and maybe even this idea that, I don't know if to call it the revival or, or not something like that, that may not come from America, right? It may come from, from China. Yeah I, I, yeah, I don't think it will. I, exactly right. I, I, uh, and, but, I, uh, but God can do whatever God wants to do, so I'm always ready to be surprised. But, but yeah, it, it's uh, yeah, the, the, where, where God's really at work. I mean, we may be seeing right now, and Francis is is testifying to this, the greatest kind of revival in the history of Christianity taking place in China, both underground and above ground. And and we we can't um, just like you can't trust the the COVID nineteen statistics coming out of China, you can't trust any statistics coming out of there. But when I was over there, the interest in Jesus, the interest in in faith was just explosive. So I'm, I'm, I'm really, um, I'm really going to be surprised if we don't see some Indonesia. I mean, here is here is the largest Muslim nation in the world, and in Surabaya, the second largest city in Indonesia after Jakarta. There's there are churches, Christian churches, that are exploding with with the gospel and exploding in, in neighborhoods, and and so uh, we are so focused on what's happening here in North America, that we're missing the larger picture of what God is doing in some very surprising places, like the Muslim nation of Indonesia, like the, 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 the Chinese uh, Marxist nation of, of China. Wow. Yeah, uh, there's another great quote you have here on the, it's actually on the conclusion. Um, it says, it's a fatal mistake to see a super volcano as a pendulum swing and not as a paradigm shift. And then down the road you say, as every volcanic eruption has made clear, another world is possible. I love this. And even when you were saying, you know, we are, we're not moving because we're living in the kingdom, right? I love that even as you have some predictions here, or I don't know if you know, necessarily call them predictions, 
Uh, that's kind of what they, they felt to me right after you said that about the pendulum swing. You have about uh, 18 propositions of things that might happen in the future, right? But one of them, it says, besides influenza, new plagues could spread to slay whole populations from new zoonotic viruses like SARS and AIDS to viral infections that come from animals like avian flu, epidemics and pandemics are endemic wild cards. I mean, and you have have listed some others, but in light of, I mean, writing this book, uh, I don't know, are you a little bit prophetic or is it kind of <laughs> like, uh, what's his name, the Microsoft guy? That in 2015 he was saying, "No, oh, we gotta be careful with viruses and all this sort of stuff." And you know, after the the pandemic kind of hit the U.S., everybody's you know talking about um, Bill Gates, right, with his TED talk and how he was right. How do you feel like? Uh, what are some of the points where you feel like you're completely right and it's happening right now? Well, I. There, I don't know if you got to the quote where in the book where I talk about that there will come a time when China will catch a, a virus, a flu, and it will sneeze and spread to the whole world. And I had no idea that when that book was being published, actually it was published late last year, that it was actually happening. But, but part, partly, um, you know, COVID-19 is a form of SARS. It, it is a, and, and it did come from these wet markets. And, and it is a, um, It, it, this is a only one of many. We're we're living in a in a in a culture now where everything is so connected, Beto, that that we're talking about it. The norm, the future is going to be uh, the, this this pandemic consciousness. I I think if I were going to call the, the generation of our kids right now that are growing up right now, I call them the lockdown generation. The lockdown is going to shape them in so many ways we don't appreciate and their mentality, their orientation towards other people, their relationships. It's a, it's a lockdown um, uh, generation. And that's going to be part of the mission field to which we are called. But what I do is actually, it's, it's called semiotics and it's a biblical word where um, Jesus had a favorite saying, red sky morning, sailors take warning, red sky night, sailors delight. And then he said, you know how to read the signs of the oh, yeah. sky. I want you to know how to read the signs of the times. And the Greek word for sign there is S-E-M-E-I-A, where we get the word semiotic. So it's the ability to read signs. And I have, I have doctoral programs that I offer, a THD program, a DMIN program in, in semiotics and teaching teaching uh, you know, kind of pastors and, and, and scholars how to do this, how to read the signs and connect the dots. And there was a whole tribe that was known for this. This is called the tribe of Issachar, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And if you look at 1 Chronicles 12, verse 32, as each tribe is coming to the new King David and saying, you know, you're getting ready for battle, and this is the gifts that we offer you. The tribe of Issachar came, and they said, we are the tribe of Issachar. We are the tribe that knows the times and knows what to do. Ooh. And so, semioticians or semiotics, it's not enough just to know the times, and that's a huge enough challenge in and of itself, but then to go beyond and be the strategist, and this is what we can do to know what to do. So what I try to do in this book is to do, it's really a book of semiotics. This is how you read the signs. Anybody can do this. 
I mean, I called Trump's victory one of the first people to call. Everybody got so mad at me that part of part of semiotics is you don't you don't say what you want. You say this is what's what I'm reading, and then people mm-hmm. get mad at you. Well, yeah, but but we don't want that. Well, I'm I'm just telling you. I'm not saying I want it either. I'm just telling you this is this is what it looks like is going to happen. So. So you get in a lot of trouble because you're calling things and people don't like what you're calling. I don't like it either. I didn't like the fact that I called that we're living in a, we're going to be living 21st century is going to be a pandemic uh, century. And, and, um, but that's just the reality and you got to call it um, as God has given you the ability to see it. And I think that anybody can do this if you just have the, the training and have the, the, uh, the, the discipline to um, to read the signs and connect the dots. So that's all I'm doing here. I'm, I'm not. I, I'm 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 doing something, and I think everybody can do. So if it's if it, you, if you call it prophetic, then I'm talking about the prophet the the prophetic hood of all believers. It's not just the priesthood of all believers. We're all priests, but we're all prophets too. And anybody can do this. It's not just certain people are gifted. I think this is a a something that everybody is called to do themselves is to exercise their own prophethood, their own prophetic um, skills and ability. So that's, that's what I'm doing here. Wow. That's so good. Uh, Beware what bears the name progress. That's another quote you have there. Ah, that's so good. And then, you know, when you talk about the church in the future, You say the church in the future, and now I'm paraphrasing, it's not going to be recognized just by left or right, but rather by you know, backwards or forward. And and as I think of the future, as I think of the church moving forward, and I love another phrase you said somewhere in there, you know, the church needs to engage rather than try to avoid the future. Yeah. And in page 183, you said, Jesus wants to bring us rapture experience, the rapture of being fully alive, the rapture of Jesus is taking up residence inside each of us and becoming part of who we are. Jesus did not come to deliver us from our humanity, but to recover and discover our true humanity. Ah, I love that quote. I think that's that's totally what the future is right and i think mark chirona in the you know the, the the very last pages he says something similar that it's like jesus is calling us from the future into the future we're not to live in the past we learn from the past but really the only future and this is almost a tagline i have here for the podcast the only future there is is hope yeah and, exactly and it was right. it's yeah. showcased through jesus can you i mean When you talk about the future, the rapture, uh, the 22nd century, the sign of the times, uh, how do you feel about, you know, like all these ideas that I don't necessarily know what you think of when I grew up and, you know, learning about the Bible and things like that, you know, the apocalypse, there's going to be an imminent end of times, you know, so are we in the end times, uh, you know, the rapture <laughs> of the church, things like that. Where do you fit? Uh, or where do you see yourself playing out in all of that in, you know, as it relates to the future? Yeah, well, there's so many ways to answer that. But one is, first of all, the word apocalypse literally means unveiling. Mm. It's a lifting of the curtain. So every everybody ought to be apocalyptic in that sense that we all ought to be 
looking for the revealing and the unveiling and lifting of the curtain to see what God is doing and where God is moving and what God is up to. So we all ought to be in some way apocalyptic doesn't mean Armageddon. That's a whole other uh, that's a whole other conversation. But apocalyptic literally means we're always looking for that unveiling, for that revealing, for that manifestation of what the spirit is up to. And and so in that, I'm very apocalyptic. I, I, I And I love that word rapture, Beto. I, I grew up um, kind of a premillennial um, pre-trib person. Uh, I, some of you may have no idea what I'm talking about, but I was expecting that Jesus Christ was was going to come at any minute and was going to take the saint and leave everybody else behind to deal with the, the seven year tribulation. And, and so we were looking for that rapture and, and um, you know, I, I was expecting that rapture at any moment, even as a little kid, I get home from school and my mother wasn't there. I would start sweating after about 20 minutes cause <laughs> I was the oldest and I knew my brothers weren't going, you know, <laughs> And so I was the oldest and I, I, I knew my mother was going, but I wasn't sure I was going and I knew they weren't going. So if I was left behind, I was going to have to take care of them and all, oh, you know, so, but I love that word rapture because it's, this is really what Jesus gives us. He doesn't rapture us from the world, but he promises to rapture us for the world and that in the world we can experience the rapture and the joy of being alive in Christ. And, and, there's there's an old uh, you know the there's an old kind of test quiz joke, but d- did Jesus know everything? Does Jesus know everything? Mm-hmm. And the answer to that, of course, is no. Jesus himself said that he did not know the date of his return. So if even Jesus doesn't know. He said that's hidden in the Father. So if even Jesus didn't know the date of his return, we we got to live. Be faithful till he comes. Uh, I mean, I, I, Maranatha is that Aramaic word, but it literally means in all three tenses, and this is huge, Beto. It means Christ has come, Christ is here now, he is come now, mm. and he is to come. So we live a Jesus who has come, who is present now, and who will one day return and will come. And so uh, those three tenses, we live all at the same time. We live past, present, and future all at the same time. And that's the power of that word, Maranatha, uh, Maranatha, um, that Aramaic word that it actually in, it closes the Bible in, in Greek, mm-hmm. uh, come Lord Jesus. Uh, but it really means Christ has come, Christ is come. And Christ is coming. And so I live, and I think all of us are called to live out of the past, not in the past, but we're to live in the present, but we're to live for the future. And the primary time zone in which we find Jesus, and this is the, this is the quote that you're talking about, is he doesn't, he does push us from the past. But even more, he pulls us from the future because he is already there. Mm. He is already in this future, calling us to join him in this this uh, jubilee that he has come to a come to prepare a place for you. And he's prepared that he's preparing this place, this new heaven and this new earth, in which we are all being called to enter and join him. 
So uh, it's a very hopeful and exciting gospel. And, and this is, we were not meant to escape the world. We were meant to engage the world and engage it with the rapturous love of Jesus. So good. So good. One of my favorite songwriters, um, his name is John Foreman, and he has a band called Switchwood from San Diego. He's got a song called New Way to Be Human. And and I think th it's almost like this idea, right, of the future is the, the one true humanity right. of who we are supposed to be. Right. And and I think sometimes we confuse exactly. that future of of the true humanity of Christ with the future of right. of technology of what we can do with our hands that seems so so new so i right. mean and, and it's pretty cool right to have phones to have the ability to like right now be sitting in front of a computer and have conversations and we call right. that future right we call tesla the future we call uh technology the future and i love one of the uh one of the when you talk about nanotechnology And this is just this is just kind of funny because you say one of the hundred fastest computers in the world sits in a desk drawer on the fifth floor of an office building in Bristol, England. And I just had a, a, a talk a few weeks ago with the mayor of Bristol, England. <laughs> I was like, wow, so this cool. is awesome. Oh, <laughs> yeah, and he's, he, I mean... So he's, <laughs> Yeah, he made some some like really really incredible quotes. It's like two episodes uh, back, but in this in this <laughs> chapter, you talk about you know the largest cab service owns no vehicle. That's Uber. The largest hotel yeah. chains owns no hotel. Airbnb. The largest social media outlet generates no content, which is Facebook. And and sometimes we think that's the future, right? Because uh, it's it's what we can see. It's what almost like what we can touch. What what makes us move on the inside and even as we go to the like one of the last pages in your what i said is kind of like the predictions you talk about maybe the possibility of a cyber attack that it's caused by one person because now so much power sits at the hands of of one person owning a company right and we had the What is his name? Uh, Jeff Bezos, who became like the first trillionaire in the history of, of humankind a few months ago or so. You know, and imagine he says, you know what? I'm, I'm tired of Amazon. I think I'm going to shut it down. <laughs> What's going to yeah. happen, right? <laughs> I, I mean, luckily, yeah. I mean, that, that wouldn't be a cyber attack, but maybe it's a cyber attack on people's anxiety to, to be able to buy things. But ah, just so phenomenal, man, when I read the book and there's so much, I think it was Mark Chirona or you talking to Mark Chirona and you said, how can I turn this book to be a book of hope and not just an anxiety read, you know, about all these issues that might happen yeah, or that are already happening. And I think that's that's the beauty that you're saying of of Jesus coming in the picture. What would be an invitation maybe for people who are, Even like you say in your book, the duns, the nuns, the the agnostics, uh, what would be an invitation for them to to see this future in a different light, maybe that they haven't? Well, I, I'm I'm all about seeing Jesus, and and that's that's for me the the key to to navigating the future is you got to keep him as your north star. You got to keep your whole. Uh, compass 
set on on Christ and he becomes the GPS, the God's positioning system. And and so as long as I follow him, I mean, the scriptures say, if Christ be lifted up, he will draw all people to him. So I'm just about lifting up Christ and and calling people to to his to his beauty, his 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 glory. And and you're so right. I appreciate you picking this up because you, you got this is that Jesus did not die on the cross to make us into a new kind of Christian. He did not die on the cross even to make us into a new kind of a better kind of Jew. Um, Jesus is the last Adam who came to do what the first Adam couldn't do. That's what the human one means. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what the, the son of man means. It means the human one. So Jesus is there to show us how to be the original human. So, so we are all about, Jesus is all about showing people what it means to be human. And we've made it showing people what it means to be Christian. Well, Jesus didn't found the Christian religion. We did that to Jesus was not a Christian. We did that to him. Hmm. Jesus was the last Adam, showed us how to be the original humans that God made us to be. And so it's all about this new humanity and and calling us to our our true humanity and 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 dying on the cross to show us what it means to be fully, holy, truly, divinely. And, and that's the that's the the paradox here is that you can't be human without the divine. The human was the one that got God's breath breathed into us. So for us to be human, you need the divine. And and that's where this culture doesn't get the, the the complexity here. It's not. It's very simple, actually. That in order for you to be the human that God made you to be, you need you need the divine. You need that divine breath. You need the spirit, not just any spirit, but the spirit of God. So the the challenge is not how do we make more Christians in the future, but how do we lift up Christ. You want to be, you want the, who is, I want to be a Jesus human. I want, he's the fullest expression of what it means to be human. And he showed us how to be human. So I, and he is the one way to that, to, to that humanity. So I want to be a Jesus human and I want to help others to see what it means to be a Jesus human. And if you really want to be human, Jesus is your best shot. So just, you know, lift him up. That's all I try and do is just lift him up. And, and then in lifting him up, let the beauty of Jesus be seen in, in us, in our communities. And, um, and it's all about that beauty for me, the beauty of Christ, let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. So good. Yeah. I want to wrap it up with, um, this, this quote, it says the church of the future must have a high toleration threshold and forgiving spirit for waywardness and wrongness. I I think the beauty of Jesus is that in that humanity that he's calling us into, it seems like forgiveness is is the key. It's almost like the opening door to his kingdom. And it's so hard to see sometimes. Absolutely. But I love this quote, man. Absolutely. Yeah, you you really hit on the on the key, key here. Is that it is all about forgiveness and and um, and mercy. I mean, you were to you know Micah six eight. Let's get it right. We're to act justly, but we're to love mercy. Mm-hmm. 
and to walk humbly. Th- those three things are Jesus. He, he always acted justly, but he didn't love justice. He loved mercy. Hmm. Um, I mean, one day we're going to stand for our maker and we're going to say, hey, Lord, give me justice. I love justice, so now is my turn. Give me justice. I don't, at least not me. I'm going, Lord, have mercy, Christ have mercy. Lord, have mercy, Christ have mercy. No, it's all about that spirit of mercy and forgiveness. And um, and that's why this cancel culture is so not Christ. I mean, and, and I don't worry about it because cancel culture will cancel out. I mean, it'll cancel. <laughs> so it'll cancel itself. But, um, but it is all, if you don't get forgiveness and you don't get just the mercy that that everybody needs to receive uh, from each other and and just a little patience and 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 and, and graciousness and generosity of spirit um, yeah that that's where Jesus is and that's what I'm looking forward um, to, to to seeing in, in you Beto, and, and those that you're influencing and that's why I'm here with this podcast is uh, is that Jesus spirit we so need that Jesus spirit Wow, so good. And he's, I mean, it's alive and well, like you said, Maranatha, it's here. Um, I just want to close with this. What's next for you? Do you have any, are, I mean, are you working on the other 25 volcanoes that didn't get published? Uh, what's going to be for, for the future? Are we expecting a new book soon or a recap? Or Yeah, on September 1, a, a new book is coming out. One of my one of my doctoral students is uh, head of the Fresh Expressions movement in the U.S. It started in Britain. And so I wrote two volumes with him. The first one is kind of more the theoretical. It's called Contextual Intelligence. How do you increase your CQ, your um, contextual intelligence? We know what IQ is. We know what EQ is. But this is how do you, how do you um, read your context better? and how do you develop a contextual intelligence. So so good. That's coming out. That's what it's called, contextual intelligence. And then in, I think, February, March of next year, the second volume, which is more of the, the exercises, the apps, the practices, the, um, the kind of things that you can do, the workbook-like will be coming out. So that's the, ne- that's the very next book is called Contextual Intelligence. So good. It should be out the 1st of September. Love it. I'll be looking forward to those. And do you have any any um, place where you want to point people to? I know you do. You said you do like this um, semiotic um, um, training. Yeah, but I, also, I also I'm trying to help people to read the Bible, not as uh, points and principles, but as, as a story, as one story, as I put it from Genesis to the maps. It's one story. And so I do a preachthestory.com. And um, it's a website, preachthestory.com. And every week I have a vlog where I show people how to read the Bible narratively. And all during the week I post quotes and ideas for them to use. So, um, and then they can follow me on, on Facebook, Len Sweet. I post something every day for, uh, for, for, for people to, for their illumination and inspiration and for pastors to use in their sermons. So. So those those two things probably Facebook, Len Sweet, and then um, preachthestory.com, and uh, there's also a Facebook page for Preach the Story too. Love it, and I also want to just recommend to people that are listening the Rings of Fire. It's just so good. We cover a few of the items, but I mean, there's just so much, so much. When you guys read it, you're gonna be just wowing yourselves. 
uh, page after page because it's so good. Uh, and I want to thank you, Leo, again for, for having this time here together, for sitting across a virtual table and talking about uh, your book, talking about the future. I've enjoyed the Sober Mesa so much. Thank you. Sober Mesa. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thanks for the Sober Mesa. Love it. Thank you so much. Have a great day. All right. Bye. You too. Thanks for listening to this episode of Christian Podcast. If you liked this episode, share it with friends and family. Make sure you subscribe and leave a positive review whatever you can. You can also visit christianpodcast.com to learn more about our show. Hasta la vista. <laughs>